What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, our guest is Ferris Musa from Disrupt Equity. Ferris has built a huge real estate portfolio. Let's just say it honestly. And he started in technology as a technology entrepreneur, a technology uh, worker, project manager at Microsoft. And he built up his real estate portfolio. And at a certain point, he hit a huge inflection in his rate of growth and started buying really big properties with passive investors. And today we're going through his story of how he bought those first properties, how he financed them, where he got the money, and then ultimately why he decided to continue to scale his, his portfolio and get into real estate syndication. It's a fun interview. Ferris is a fun guy to talk to and uh, brings a lot of energy to us today. So thank you for tuning in. You're in for a good one. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Thank you for tuning in once again. Our guest is Ferris Musa. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and here we go with Ferris. Ferris, thank you for joining us today. No problem, Taylor. Thanks for having me here. Great to talk with you. Uh, for those out there who don't know your story, can you tell us about your history, where you got started, and, and your professional life before breaking out into the real estate world? No, absolutely, man. My professional life goes way back. Started, I guess, when I was 14 years old. And so, you know, I had a, a friend, whenever I guess I was in elementary school, had, had a book building HTML websites way back when. So I, you know, kind of had a taste of web development. And then once I was 14 years old, I had another friend that was building a site, like a real site using software. And that kind of perked my interest. So I went off and learned that language and started building sites for, you know, for myself. And then people started paying me. And so I got a really good taste of entrepreneurship at a younger age. And um, then that kind of naturally led to, to college. And, you know, I got to admit, I went off to college to be a doctor. My father's a doctor. I thought that's what I wanted to be. And after a year and a half into it, I realized I hate memorization. Man. It was just <laughs> not my cup of tea. And so, you know, it's more problem solving. So then I immediately changed into computer science, natural fit. I mean, turbo through it did really well on the computer science side of things. And, um, you know, interned at Microsoft. Right. And so um, I did an internship there, loved it, loved the team. And then I went back full time and moved to Seattle. And that's kind of what, you know, kind of led me down the corporate world to some degree. But I told myself before I started, basically, I told myself two and a half years and I'm out. So I ended up almost sticking to that. I waited three years and then I left Microsoft, <laughs> mostly because we were in the middle of a release and I wanted to leave on really good terms. And so, you know, that was kind of, um, I guess, how I got to the corporate world and left back out for a little bit. So nice. So you, Sounds like, you know, the corporate world wasn't the right fit for you. Being a busy professional wasn't the right fit for you. And today I wanted to talk about how you became a full-time real estate entrepreneur. And it sounds like from what I know of your story, there were some, some bumps along the way. So, you know, let's get into that, that first entrepreneurship experience as you're, you know, leaving Microsoft. Was that in the real estate world or was that elsewhere? No, so that's a good question. So I left Microsoft with the vision of building software for industries that don't have it. I love software. I still love it. I'm still involved in software today. You know, and, and originally it was that I, I saw the opportunity in building software in dated industries. And, you know, we had done a bunch of app development for the first two, three years, did really well with that. And then we're doubling down on building a real product because 
for those that know anything about app development, it's um, it's very ephemeral, right? The money comes and goes really quickly, but you make a lot of money, but it also goes just as quick. And so we knew that, right? We kind of milked it for two, three years. And they're like, all right, let's double down, hire on staff and really build that out. And, you know, coincidentally, we started building. I guess at that same time, I knew I was moving back from Seattle. I had started getting into real estate, you know, listening to podcasts, getting into real estate investing. And um, essentially at the same time, we we're figuring out what we wanted to do. We ended up building property management software of all things. So kind of both things ended up aligning just from seeing gaps on the real estate investing side of things. And so that was kind of the, the first foray after Microsoft and, you know, built the property management stuff in parallel while I was buying real estate and kind of seeing the, the two tracks and figuring out where the opportunity lied. Cool. Cool. So in your first real estate investment, what did you buy? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that you hear about on all the podcasts, go buy duplexes, go buy fourplexes. And so I remember I was in Seattle and I spent three months, two months looking for plex in Houston. This was in the, the August timeframe because I knew I was moving back to Houston in, you know, the end of the year, right? So around December. And I, there's not, you know, the thing they don't tell you is that Houston is, a, which is where I live, very different market than the rest of the country. Land is very, very cheap here. Things are flat. You know, you don't see any mountains or hills. It's just you keep going out. You know, we don't expand up. We expand out, right? And so there's not a lot of fourplexes. Most of the fourplexes that are here are in older areas, not great areas, right? And so I struggled to find something. And then kind of one did show up in an area that I really, I know very well and I really liked. And I was like, that's the deal I want. And I had already called the, the agent that was selling it. And I ran the numbers. And I'm, you know, I'm a numbers guy, but systems, numbers, and process guy. And I had already learned how to underwrite and do that. And I knew I wanted that deal. And so I went online, I found a random agent and I basically said, Hey man, I, I've already found the deal. I already know I want this. I just need someone to transact it because I need an agent to buy it for me. And so I got that thing under contract in December, you know, it was a fourplex in a good area. And then I bought it, what, uh, February. And so that was my first kind of taste. So, you know, two months later, closed on it, bought it. And honestly, from I had very little churn with that deal. And I finally sold that deal actually two, three months ago. So we've had that deal for a while, finally sold it. And, you know, it's been obviously a home run kind of deal. And give me a taste of what it's like to have four, you know, people living in a place versus one and kind of the pros and cons of that. Nice. So based on those numbers, it sounds like you didn't buy the quad and then live in one of the units and rent the other three out. You bought it as a pure investment play. Is that right? Great investment. Put down, I think, 20, 25% down on that and, you know, got rid of one of the tenants that was not paying to begin with. And then, you know, the other people build a, you know, my big philosophy is build a, a product that people want, right? I'm not a fan of the slumlord mentality. It's about how do you make a nice unit and make it, you know, thing people like. Like, I remember one of the guys that he's the best tenant I've ever had. And I remember in her first, they told me he loves the Eagles fans. Like that was the first thing we had saw during due diligence and like Eagles thing. And he's always talking about him. And, you know, a month after we moved in there, we just got him a whole Eagles gift basket just as a gift. That guy stayed there for the entire time we owned it. You know, <laughs> and he just, he's the kind of guy that would say, Hey, my garbage disposal is busted. Can you guys just buy me one and I'll install it? Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, take care of your tenants and it becomes, you know, lucrative in the end. And so that deal is nice because we really didn't have much turn. Nice. So, you know, one of the things that it sounds like you are probably pretty young still when you, uh, not that you're not now, but you know, pretty early oh, in man. your, uh, I have no idea how old you are. So for the record, but you were pretty young at that point. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fairly common for, for a young person to buy a quad and live in one of the units and, you know, whatever, and treat it that way. 
why did you make the decision you made to just buy it as an investment and not live in it uh, as opposed to, you know, live in one of the units? Um, no, that's a good question. So for me personally, it's, I, I knew I was, I, my wedding was literally four months. So like two months after that purchase, I bought, actually a month after that purchase, I bought a house for myself and then I had my wedding the following month. And so I knew, you know, that was not in the side of town I wanted to live in to begin with. I had already kind of picked out the house that I wanted to live in. So from the get-go, it was kind of designed to be, you know, a fourplex, right? Kind of just a four unit with mm. buying the whole thing just purely as an investment. Interesting. Okay. So, and, and also, it sounds like you self-managed that quad. Is that right? You were working Yeah, we with did those. self-manage that. And the other thing to note, too, that was my first real estate purchase of my life. Never had even bought a house. So... Just went off. My dad thought I was nuts and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Nice. And uh, about signing on the loan, did you need, you know, were you able to qualify on your own? You didn't need anybody co-signing yeah, or anything? So, yeah, yeah, no, I was. Um, I mean, honestly, short answer is Houston real estate's cheap, <laughs> right? It's not some huge investment that I bought that for 160000 I think, for yeah, like so 40000 yeah. a unit, right? You know, sold that for quite double but you know close to and so um you know but it's not was not it was easier for me to qualify for that than it was for my house <laughs> so, wow you know put that in perspective so it was that was easy work but it was nice. more about you know the bigger thing for people to realize right is if you're buying it for purely an investment you need to have more down payment right you know the spread the, the loan is different than if you're living in it so something to keep in mind yeah yeah the 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 financing one of the reasons people want to live in one of the units is that the financing is is pretty easy relatively when you live in one of the units compared to an investment property, it's cheaper, all that kind of thing. Um, okay. So moving on to growing your real estate portfolio and buying that second one and, and continuing to, to, to buy, what was that like? And, um, you know, obviously we're, we're going to lead to where you are now, but you know, I want to really understand like what you were able to do. And then, you know, you, I know you made a big leap in there. So I understand mm -hmm. it, that initial period yeah. of growing your portfolio. So the fourplex, you know, if you buy that thing and you're like, the sky's the limit, man. Our, our loan is so low. We're making, you know, each of those units were renting for like 850 bucks, you know, and our, again, do the math, right? 850 times four and our note is what, uh, 120,000. I think we put 40,000 down, right? I mean, we're making cash flow in that deal. Yeah. So the sky's the limit. And so then, you know, like I said, I bought my personal house. Then two months later, the broker that I brought the, the deal through, right, the guy that I just randomly called up, he actually brought me a deal. So he made up for it later. So I bought that deal. And, you know, we did I did eight purchases, I think, in 12 months. And so having never bought any real estate to doing that, it was definitely all well, then, you know, starting to learn, hey, I need to leverage more of my tech strengths, right? Let me build systems, processes, and tracking. And don't forget, at the same time, I had the software kind of company as well and realizing because the gap that we we're solving was for people like me, the residential investors that are struggling to keep it, you know, the one to 10 units organized and how do I collect payments online? How do I do screenings? Those kind of things. Okay. So you, you scaled your real estate portfolio, you know, pretty quickly. You did quite a few transactions in that first year. I think I, if I caught the number right, it was, it was eight transactions first year. Yeah. Yeah. So, eight in that first year. So definitely a busy year. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's very impressive. And so if I'm, I can hear people out there listening, thinking, okay, he said he bought the first quad for 160,000, 20% down, that's $32,000 down plus closing costs, whatever. I might need $40,000 to buy that deal. And then to go do eight more, that's a, 
I, I might not have the cash. So what did you do to get the cash to do, you know, all those first eight deals? Yeah. So for me, I mean, luckily I had a good friend as a partner, right? So I, you know, he brought half, I brought half, but the other thing too, people need to realize it's a lot of times about structuring, right? I mean, you know, like, and I'll give you an example. We had a deal that we bought where, you know, the wholesaler had listed it, had, had asked the question about it. And then, you know, I'd ask them how much they wanted and it was like 60, 70 grand. I'm like, it's just not worth it. That's what, that's what the market is. And then two weeks later, he messages me out of the blue and is like, do you still want this deal? And I'm like, how much? He's like 29,000. It's yours, but you have to close by the end of the week, which is like three days later. <laughs> Done, right? And so we built for 30,000, 7,000 into it. Our cost basis is 37. We've had the same tenant living there for over three years. She's paid pretty much the whole cost of it for us. And more importantly, that's a deal that I wanted to, we could refi out and get 80,000, right? So not only am I getting a hundred percent of my money back, I'm actually getting more. And so people, you know, you have to find a deal that's a good fit for what, where your current situation is and what appetite is for risk, right? But it's not just about having cash, you know, even the deal that the broker later brought me, that's a similar situation. It was a deal that I think it was $130,000 purchase price, right? We, we brought 20% down, but that deal is worth almost 200. Right. So if we wanted to, you can refi out and go on to the next deal. And so, you know, it's about really understanding where you are and there's a lot of ways to do it, whether you're partnering with people and as people grow in their career, they realize real estate is ultimately a partnership game. That's, you know, that's what this business is about. The more people, you know, the, the more opportunities that present themselves. That's why, you know, why we do podcasts. We get to know each other, you know, learn more about other people. People know about us. And so, you know, it's, you know, money is just one problem. Ultimately this market, even, post-COVID and virus situation, you know, it's more about the deals and finding good deals because that's still hard to find. Very true. Very true. Uh, and that's, that's interesting, you know, that, that seller, if you had to close by the end of the week and it was midweek already, must have been pretty distressed. Do you know how that came about? I'm always just curious. Yeah, you know, no, I'll tell you the story. So that one, I think sure. he called me on Monday or Tuesday and it needed to close by Friday. Hmm. And essentially it was a deal that they had under contract and it was going to get the, it was a, it's part of an HOA. The HOA was going to take ownership of it because the previous owner had not paid their dues in however long. And so, you know, our closing was going to cover that, cover them paying the dues. And then the, the wholesale was making like 500 bucks. They knew they had lost the opportunity on that. But what was interesting with that, and you know, it makes me really the question is why the heck did the seller just walk away from this deal? It's a nice location. And, you know, we, we, we take ownership, we go into the unit and there's just, all their stuff, it's like they got up and just left. And I'm like, what happened here? It was just such a weird situation. Cause I mean, you know, there's some nice stuff there, but it did, we did smell mold, right? Well, talking to the neighbors, I guess what it is the, the woman, her husband's police officer and they both live there. The woman is super sensitive to mold. And you know, they were just having a lead, they couldn't figure it out and they just got up and left and just said, screw it, I'm out of here. And so then that's kind of where it went through the process that it made its way to us. Well. Fast forward, we found the mold. I mean, it was just a leak behind a little wall cut out, a little out of two by two, and our guy replaced the little piping there, and mold went away. And then we redid all the floorings, all new paint, all new kitchen cabinet. It's it's a nice unit. And so, um, yeah, wow. it's kind of interesting. So you know, someone had a problem, someone else found the opportunity there, but then they got greedy at trying to sell it for seventy and find a buyer. And so we picked it up very very cheap. Wow, that's wild. I'm amazed somebody would would walk like that. I mean, mold yeah. is not cheap to abate, but it's definitely a lot cheaper than taking a 50% haircut on your primary <laughs> residence. Right? Put yourself in their situation. 
If you don't have the cash to go buy another place, but you're super sensitive to mold, what are your options, right? You know, maybe you could, maybe you bought the thing, you know, financed. And so there's a bank component. How long is it going to take you to sell? Do you have money to go buy another thing quickly enough beforehand? But if you're sensitive to mold, you need to get out immediately. So, you know, to us, it seems crazy, right? But then sometimes you start to understand more of the context and maybe, maybe it makes a little bit more sense, but yeah, yeah to me so <laughs> wow that's something you know I'm, i always like to learn about these distressed sellers because we at least i have a tendency in my mind to assume that nobody's going to walk away from their primary residence that easily i mean there are so many options you know and i probably you know, we might not know the full situation but there are so many options that they probably had available to themselves that maybe if they take an action very early on then they could have had a better resolution <laughs> who knows yeah, and it's sad to say it, but I mean, ultimately, you know, most people aren't people that go out and educate themselves and go listen to podcasts and go learn how to do stuff. So they don't know the options that are available, right? That's, you know, most people don't care enough, right? Most people have their day jobs, they have their evenings, and that's just kind of the two world they only think about. They don't spend as much time thinking about what if or how do I learn more about the space in case this thing happens, right? And I mean, I'll give you, and sometimes, again, it's, you know, I think wholesalers get a bad rep, right? But they are solving a problem. And I'll give you a real example. So the, the broker that brought me the deal, the first deal that I bought, I brought him that deal, right? He did transact it. Well, he brought me a house for sale that he had gotten through some, like some flyers in the mail, I think. And it, he, him and his partner were looking to do bigger flips. This wasn't a good flip, but it was a good rental. And so, you know, put me in touch with the seller, 130,000. It was worth market value, probably 170, honestly. Right. And after we rehabbed, it's worth two. Now, for that seller, we were solving a problem for them. Why? That guy was happy to sell it at 130, knowing it was worth more. So we let him stay there for two months. So he got the cash out, able to hold on to it so he can go buy on his next house that he was already planning to. And so, again, we're solving that liquidity problem that we have. And in return, right, we're getting, you know, a deal on it. Pretty good deal. I mean, I guess yeah. <laughs> solving a liquidity problem, but yeah, they're not all that way. I'm talking about the good yeah. ones. The others, I mean, we had other, luckily our deals have all done well, but it's not, they're not all that home run. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. So, you know, at a certain point here, let's, you know, take the next step in, in your experience and, and getting up with Ben and growing your portfolio and getting into much bigger deals. And, you know, once you hit that 12 unit, uh, Mark, what, you know, what are you thinking? It seems like it's, you know, it's hard to manage a portfolio and have your own business on the side. So, you know, let's, let's get in your mindset there, you know, right before you really yeah. blow up that portfolio. Well, so, you know, we got the 12 and I'm like, this sucks. It doesn't scale very well. <laughs> yes, there's cash flow, but it just, you know, it doesn't scale, right? And like, you know, I wanted to keep growing, you know, okay, 12 becomes 15, becomes 20 and now bigger headache. Yes, you can pay a third-party property management company, but they usually, you know, they're, you know they're, there's not a lot of transparency there. And so I was really looking at doing my own small apartment. So I started educating myself on new apartments and, you know, said I'll go listen to a lot of podcasts and hop in and figure it out. And so I had offered on a 32 Pro quickly, right? Because at the time, I didn't know enough about this indication world. And, you know, to me, it was probably, whoa, this is so big and hard, right? So I was thinking about doing a 32 unit with just like me, you know, and a few friends. And luckily I didn't win that one. And then I started learning about syndication. I'm like, no, no, this is what I want to go do, right? Because it's the, it's the things that I like. It's a people's game. It's a systems game. It's an operations game, right? So how do you marry these three things together? Um, 
So it started Disrupt Equity, kind of tap back into the tech roots, right? And, you know, I was looking at a deal in Atlanta. And, you know, at the time, I, I didn't know anyone. You know, I, we knew one person in Atlanta, but, you know, not done a deal in Atlanta. And it was my first big deal. And so uh, I met, I had known my partner, Ben, who at the time wasn't my partner, right? And I was like, hey, you thinking about doing this deal? What do you think? And he came out to look at the deal. We decided to do this deal together and kind of join and become, you know, two parts of Disrupt Equity and really grow that business. And so, you know, had, having kind of the right expectations and alignment there and it worked out well from then. So let's, you know, let's talk about the first deal that you did as Disrupt Equity. You said you made an offer on a 32 unit and thankfully you did not win, which yeah. is definitely, you know, an interesting thing to say. But, you know, that, that first property, larger property that you did win, what was that you know, like, and, and why did you pick it? And let's also, you know, what year was that too? I'm glad I didn't win it because I would have been so bombed just being distracted with that 32 unit really is what sure. would have happened, right? And so instead learned about syndication. It was a 99 unit deal. And ultimately we were looking for a deal that we knew would be a home run no matter what. We just had our part. We had to work. You know, I don't care if I have to work hard. I'm willing to work harder, right? We knew we needed that kind of deal because it was going to be our first deal in a new market, right? And so it had to be a home run. Luckily, found a deal as a 99-unit deal, and this was the hardest deal of my life, right? But, I mean, we did really well for our investors, right? And 99-unit deal was 80% occupied on paper. The previous seller didn't know what they were doing. They were, like, accidental landlord. They had a ton of deferred maintenance, and, you know, on top of that, just a terrible bridge lender that made it really hard. But we took that deal from 80% down to 40% occupancy back to 90s and sold that deal, you know, a couple months ago, and it did extremely well with it. So, you know, and it's just about having a business plan and executing it, right? And sometimes, you know, whenever you're at 40% occupancy, I'm going to tell you this, you're not operating in the green. You're in the red. Right? <laughs> All right. And my partner, Ben, you guys got to check his picture. He doesn't have much hair. Let's say he lost it pretty much, the red, whatever little he did have from that. And the same here, I've been losing hair on that deal because you know, it's tough, right? A lot of chaos going on and having to work through that. But just, you know, stick to the plan and believe in the plan. If you had a real plan, you know, the plan is a plan. And so just not getting overwhelmed by that. And, you know, ultimately at Microsoft, I was a program manager. And what I like to say is syndication is really project management, program management, on right? Having a game plan, executing, 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 and kind of working everything. Um, yeah, that was the first deal. And it's a, it's a fun deal. We like to joke about till, till today. I mean, ideal we take over on security from day one, get rid of, you know, all of the drug dealers who always paid on time. So you try to find a reason to get rid of them and, you know, take community in a good, in a, you know, pretty good area and turn it into the good community, cleaned yeah. it out and started building a real community, putting together, you know, a playground, make it a place people like being. And for the families that were there throughout the transition, I mean, they're extremely thankful, right? They love the fact that we got rid of all the bad people and actually cared about the community. So. Nice. That's awesome. You know, that, uh, I've been in a few deals where you buy it and then get out the people who are not adding value to the community, so to speak. And, um, those, those also doing a lot of work on the property and those times when the occupancy gets very low are very stressful. Cause like you said, you're, you're not operating in the black, you're in the red and, you know, concerned about how are things going to go. So definitely, um, yeah, very concerning. So in doing doing the second deal and really blowing that out, you know, let's walk through it to to where you are today and, and yeah, so, I don't know how many units you guys so we, have. We were, we were doing due diligence on that deal and we told the broker, hey, do you have anything else on the market? Again, I'm a believer of scaling, not just getting that one deal and getting 
you know, lost, right? Because that's what tend to, think, I think tends to happen. People get one deal and get overwhelmed, yeah. right? Whereas I knew we'd have to kind of split so we can hire on staff and better people that are better than us at every role, right? And luckily that broker had a deal. He's like, we have a deal that we have exclusive on. We're not, we haven't even listed it in a month. So we, before we flew back to Houston, we literally drove the, the property. We looked at this, this deal is good. And we were underwriting it on the airplane. And we're like, this is a good deal. And I just remember I was poking, you know, trying to poke holes at it. We're like, this is a solid deal. And, you know, we got back, submitted another, and basically we're negotiating, you know, an LOI before it even hit market. And we had a friend that was going to go out and fly out and go look at that property. We pretty much had it on the track. So, <laughs> get that. And, you know, it was a nice, was a, that was a simple deal, right? It's more stabilized. And it was just about getting in there and executing. We're that one up pretty quickly as well. And then, you know, from that Atlanta, our deals have done well there and continue to scale while we continue to scale in town. So those are kind of the two first areas. You know, since then, I mean, about having the right team, the right processes and really build that out. And so, you know, I think when earlier people will get one or two deals water to be able to look out, right? Whereas like we, we made a strategic, like we have to pick up these deals, but you know, not greedy. That's the important thing too. It's, you know, me, me and Ben have the same long-term goals. I don't care about money right now. It's not about making a quick buck. It's about making sure we have the right people, you know, managing the properties to make sure that we can perform for our investors. Cause you get one chance with investors. You don't get two chances. So making sure our deals perform, right. Whether, even if that means giving up all the money to get the right staff and people, but then really building up on that. Right. And so where we make our money is, you know, at volume and scale and having a team dedicated to that. And so, you know, we've since just continued to kind of grow with that mentality. And, you know, even till now we have, now that we've got property management in-house, we have, you know, a company of 60 people, right? But me and Ben still don't take that because we're still trying to keep scaling that out, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been how progression has been. And thankfully, it's gone very well. And, you know, we love it. So it's a fun business. And, you know, I think they're just kind of excited to see what the next couple of years go to. Nice, nice. That's great. And that's a very business owner mentality to have is, you know, you want to get all the right people in place. And like you said, people who are better at those particular roles than, than you guys are. Now, you know, I, I think this question of scaling is very important. There are a lot of landlords out there that are sick of being landlords and, you know, they might have 12 properties, they might have 30, who knows, but they want to get out. And I mean, let's be real. Not everybody wants to become a Ferris and go, you know, become a syndicator. Some tired landlords just want to keep investing in real estate and, and quit being tired landlords and, you know, get more passive. So, you know, what are your thoughts on why didn't you go that route? I mean, is it because you're the entrepreneur guy and that's, you know, who you're going to be or what, you know, there's a decision to make there, right? I mean, I think a big part of it is the entrepreneurial kind of guy. I was still young. I was still figuring out what I wanted to do. And I just love the aspects of it. Like I said, it's got the three things that I really like and, you know, and it can scale. And so that's what got me ultimately excited. Right. I mean, for me, I did invest, I guess one part of the story I did skips, I invested in a few different deals as a passive investor to learn what I liked and what I didn't like about other sponsors. Right. So my goal is to be the best sponsor. Well, it's hard to be the best sponsor. But I don't know what the other people are doing. And so um, that was a step. And, you know, and it's also nice to make money as a pure passive. Right. I mean, it really is, you know, nice whenever you do very little. Right. And, but for me, it was more about, I guess I just saw a lot of inefficiencies of the current landscape and just knowing that that is the value I can bring to really tie the whole story together. You know, I left Microsoft with a vision of building software in industries that don't have it. 
right? But I've since realized the real opportunity is leveraging all the stuff that I know from the tech world into industries like real estate to make us more efficient than other people, right? And leveraging that, that's the real opportunity, right? How do I tie these things together and make us hum along that much more quickly, that much more disruptive, you might say, you know, than everyone else, so. I think that's that's smart. I mean, uh, hopefully, I, I see things changing, but really the the efficiencies that we get out of technology and in property management, there's still a lot of ground to be to be had, you know, whether for the small time landlord or, you know, for those of us that are out there buying, you know, a couple hundred units. And fortunately, it seems like a lot of property managers are really getting on board with some of the, you know, more tech-based solutions to either getting applications in or collecting rents, things like that. But I'm sure there's still areas that we can improve. So that's a, a great insight. Absolutely. Yeah. So right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Ferris, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's make it All happen. Right. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment I ever made, I'd say probably, you know, booking my flight tickets to uh, Disney and then road tripping to Atlanta to go look at the first property that I ended up buying and then, you know, dragging the family with me and then dragging them to Memphis to also go look at other properties that I didn't buy. So I'd say, you know, just getting out there, I tell people, don't get lost in analysis paralysis. And I see that all the time, people sitting on the sidelines, you know, go learn, get comfortable, but hop in and, you know, take a, take a chance, right? Spend some money and figure it out though, right? With a, with a method to the madness. Nice. I like that. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment would be the debt that I did on that first deal. I mean, it was just that lender single-handedly made that deal twice as difficult as it can be. For those, of you, for those in the audience that don't know, so with, you know, multifamily, typically there's two different types of debt. There's agency, which is kind of Fannie, Freddie, probably people have heard of them, right? They're the government-backed institutes, and it's well-regulated. Well, the other side, those guys will only do deals that are cleaner and more stabilized. The other side of the coin is what's called bridge debt, right? Which I like to say is like the wild west of lending. And you kind of have the full spectrum of people. And unfortunately, we had, we had it down to two lenders, and we chose the wrong one. The other one is an, a quasi-institutional, publicly traded company that you know, it's not out there to, to, to screw people. Whereas we chose the one that was really, they're a vulture. They're, they're like a loan to own shop. You know, they made it impossible to get our money out for our rehab. You know, they just want to keep us in the red because they're trying to see full default. You know, we pumped their own money into it to kind of keep that deal going and just single-handedly made that deal so much more difficult. And I like to say, whenever we went to close to sell the property, we got back 700,000 from the lender that they were just holding onto. And they said it was the best turnaround they've ever seen. So just, yeah. Be careful on the lending side. So that's my worst investment ever. Wow. Wow. My favorite question at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Business and investing? I'd say, I mean, honestly, probably have a team and partners with the right, same mindset, right? The same long-term goals, the same work ethic. Right? I've done multiple businesses throughout my career. And you know, having alignment there helps push everything along, right? You know, like I work as much as I want to, and I know my partner will work as much as well, right? Like, you know, we complement each other in that sense. And, you know, we're not out to make a quick buck, so we're not pulling money out of it, right? We just happen to keep it growing because, you know, our, 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 our vision is a 50, 20-year vision, not a quick one or two years. So I think that's, you know, as I've kind of grown in my career, just having that alignment and knowing that both with 
you know, partners as well as team members and staff is, you know, critical, right? And in structuring things to kind of make it win-win for everybody. Nice, nice. Well, Ferris, thank you for joining us today telling us about uh, everything you learned, you know, going from that getting started with your portfolio all the way to blowing it up to Disrupt Equity. If folks want to learn more about you uh, or about Disrupt Equity or you know, the programs that you guys, the events that you host, where can they find more? Yeah, www.disruptequity.com or I mean, feel free to send me an email, Ferris, F-E-R-A-S at disruptequity.com. Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks for joining us today and, uh, you know, appreciate all the lessons. No problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to talk with you. For everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a very big help. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you on the next episode.